Hello and welcome to podcast number five in the Doxit podcast series. We're coming to you today on Sunday the 24th of May 2020. My name's Fiona Stewart. And my name is Philip Nitschke. And as you probably know by now, we're the co-authors of the Peaceful Pill Handbook series. Now today we're doing part two of the Lethal Salts. We did part one last week, not knowing that there would be a part two, but sure enough. uh, Listener response has been what's generated this part two. We'd like to answer some of your questions. Uh, Within the realm of what is able to be said, of course, in a public podcast series such as this, I mean, the nitty-gritty is always only going to be in the peaceful online Peaceful Pill Handbook, e-handbook. But we're going to try and answer some of your questions within the realms of respectability. But also we wanted to share with you some of the eyewitness accounts which we discussed in passing last week, but which we've put together now, and which are very telling about the sort of death that one can expect if one were to take sodium nitrite at a time and place of one's choosing. So stay with us. Uh, We should be about 30 minutes in all, and we look forward to your company. Now, it may come as a surprise to no one that last week's episode on the lethal salts to date has been the most popular of our podcasts. Obviously, this is a topic of intense interest, and I guess in that regard, it makes good sense to have part two. Now, some of the questions that we've received from you, the listeners, in the past week have concerned the more precise details of what one can expect from a death of nitrate. Like, is it as peaceful as some say it is? Are there some awful side effects? Is it reliable? And in that regard, you've been asking questions about Exit's RPA tests, and that's the Reliability, Peacefulness, Availability test, and the discrepancies between what is published in the print book compared to what is published in the online book. And I must say, at this point, the online book has the most up-to-date RPA test. But even so, that RPA test can be a little bit better explained. And that's what we'll do today. So let's start with eyewitness account number one. This is an account that Exit received in recent weeks. And it concerns 89-year-old Susan, and it was sent to exit by her husband, George, who is a long-time member of the organisation. And George writes, I want to tell you about my wife, Susan. She was 89 when she died recently after taking nitride. A few months back, we obtained what we felt confident was pure sodium nitride on the internet. Without my help, she'd read the directions in the Peaceful Pill Handbook and looked at the video. Because of the fasting stipulation mentioned in the book, Susan decided that morning would be the best time to go. Soon after waking, she took an antiemetic and 30 milligrams of omeprazole. 40 minutes later, she drank the nitrite drink unaided. The sheer saltiness surprised her, despite the warnings. About half a minute later, she vomited very slightly. She sat upright in bed to minimise the possibility of more vomit. I had no watch with me and timing events was far from my mind, but I believe that for Susan, the sequence was exactly as predicted, though with somewhat shorter timings. I think death probably took place at about 30 minutes. My impression was that apart from a brief period of mental disturbance, dizziness I suppose, the process was very peaceful. Susan gave no outward sign of any distress seemed unresponsive after about five minutes. 
The doctor arrived about two hours later and examined her body. His role was basically just to certify the death as natural. He put cause of death as old age. Apart from the good memories of us together, I'm now left with an abiding memory of my wife's courage. She was a remarkable woman indeed. Very glad to have some sodium nitride on the shelf and I have no hesitation in using it to obtain a piece of death at a time of my own choosing. And I've had the experience of holding the hand of someone using it for just that reason. Thanks for all the hard work you have done and are still doing. Kind regards and very best wishes. George. And so, Philip, you've heard eyewitness account number one. What comments would you have to make in regard to the various issues that are brought up? Well, it's a very uh, detailed account from George. I mean, we really value these these accounts and they tell us a lot of information. There's a lot of things there which I suppose draw one's attention to this issue. He mentions, for example, that he was able without much trouble, or at least his wife was, to successfully obtain sodium nitrate on the internet and that's interesting. He also goes on to talk about the fact that the timing of loss of consciousness and then ultimately death was rather it was similar to the one that the timing that he was expecting. He mentions also the taste. He said that she mixed it with water, which is a standard standard thing one does, and drank it and was surprised by the saltiness of it. I mean, I think I think people are occasionally wondering what it is going to taste like. I mean, they don't expect it's going to be pleasant because it is their last drink after all. But I mean, it's a, it's sodium and that's salt, isn't it? So it's hardly surprising that it tastes salty. That's not quite correct, Fiona. The uh, sodium <laughs> chloride is salt, and this is sodium nitride. It's not the sodium that necessarily gives it the salty taste. But look, it is. It's a, a salt, and in this case, it does have a salty taste, and that's the way our body experiences uh, the dissolved uh, inorganic substance. Does that mean a sodium azide tastes salty? And I've never tasted it, <laughs> and you haven't to. tasted. You haven't tasted. And you haven't tasted so, um, cyanide either no, <laughs> because you're still here sitting opposite right. me. Sodium cyanide, I haven't tasted either. But in any case, this is a very salty taste and he mentions that. I don't know whether he referred to I did refer to taking an antiemetic and that's important because he went and on an, to say. And an antacid. Yes, the antacid is one of the potentiating drugs. We haven't talked a lot about this and I don't think we will on a podcast. It's all detailed in the, in the e-handbook. These are ways to make sure that the sodium nitrite works very quickly and efficiently, and one of those is antacid. He referred directly to that. What but about the um, the vomiting and, and the fasting? I mean, I've heard you in countless workshops about Nimbutel saying, you know, have a piece of toast and a cup of tea, nothing heavy in your stomach, but here the, the stipulation is actually fasting. And Look, it is a... It is a little bit different, and that's why, again, I would say if you're planning to go down this path, please read the detailed account in the handbook because it does differ a little from the uh, what you're referring to there where you would take Nembutal. In this case, there's an advantage in fasting, and by fasting, and this was the situation in, in uh, George's wife's case where she took it in the morning after sleeping without any food in her stomach. So fasting is one of the what we would describe as potentiating strategies it makes the absorption of the salt a little quicker and the effect and the impact of the salt when you swallow it faster by fasting he also went on to say that she had taken an anti-emetic that is a drug to stop her vomiting and certainly we mentioned that because and yet she vomited 
Yes, now... Even could, though it was just a tiny bit. Yes, the, the question of vomiting has been is one of the side effects of taking this substance and people worry about it and you can understand that because if you take anything by mouth to end your life, you really can't afford to vomit because the, thing, the problem with vomiting, apart from the fact that it's not pleasant, is that you don't know how much of the substance is left in your stomach. If you take some drug to die or some substance, be it Nembutel or be it nitrite or be it one of the other one substances we mentioned in the handbook, you really can't afford to vomit. And yet, of course, if you take anything by mouth, there is the possibility that you could. Now, vomiting means effectively that it's a failed attempt and you need to abandon that particular strategy. And because vomiting is a particular issue in the case of sodium nitride, we strongly advise that you take an antiemetic. And this was done in this case. Now, there are many antiemetics. There's a whole chapter in the handbook on antiemetics, but he presumably, in this case, took the, the best one. But even so, there was a small amount of vomiting. So it's something that needs to be, people need to be aware of. Now, in this case, it was such a small amount of vomiting, they decided not to take uh, to be concerned about it. She went on and lost consciousness in a very, very uh, quick time. He doesn't describe any particular adverse symptoms, and that's very interesting. It's not as though she was complaining. And so went on then to have what would be described as a peaceful, reliable death. Now, at one point in this eyewitness account, George describes his wife Susan as having a brief period of mental disturbance, and he refers to a dizziness. Now, could dizziness, is that in some way um, an element of what we were discussing last week in terms of happy hypoxia that is brought upon, brought about by a sodium nitride death? Well, last week we were talking about the way nitrite works, and it does work by making the blood a less effective carrier of oxygen so that less oxygen than you need gets to your brain, leading to this so-called happy hypoxic state because you're not getting enough oxygen, but you are getting rid of the carbon dioxide of your body. And that leads to a disorientation. Sometimes people talk about it almost a sense of intoxication or feeling a little drunk. And I guess that would fit pretty neatly into the description there that uh, that George referred to her as feeling as being dizzy, um, her, losing uh, he, awareness. He said that her eyes rolled at one point. Yes, well, that would be a, that would be I would imagine very close to the point at which she lost consciousness. Can you guess or associate any sort of unpleasantness with something like that happening? None of that account that he provides, and I must say it's only one of a number of accounts that we've got over the last year or two, suggests that there's been any particular unpleasantness. It's not as though anyone has complained about experiencing dif great difficulty with pain or with uh, extreme nausea or with uh, cramping or seizures, any of those things which I suppose are possible, but we haven't seen it. Or headache, I guess. I mean, well, nobody, she's not reaching, clutching her head saying, oh, no. No, she's not, although we, of course, again mention in the handbook that headache is one of the recognised possible symptoms of taking an excessive amount of nitrite because what nitrite does do apart from lowering your blood's ability to carry oxygen is to lower your blood pressure, and that can lead to a headache, which can be significant. This is more of a problem I might mention quickly here with sodium azide where 
People that talk about using azide even suggest that maybe one should take some form of analgesic that is a pain-relieving drug to try and counter the effect of the headache. But the headache doesn't crop up very often in our accounts that we're receiving with nitride and certainly didn't in this case. Now, another important issue in regard to this description of Susan's death is the um, amount of time which it really took her from the time she took the nitrite to the time she became unconscious and then the time to death. George describes it, although he admits he didn't have a watch with him and let's face it, he's watching his, his beloved wife of 70 years die. Rather, So rather than watching his watch, he's watching her and ensuring that she does not have her plans just disrupted or upset it any in any way so five minutes to unconsciousness and 30 minutes to death does that surprise you Philip no I think it's uh, it's it's or it's very well, most people would see that as being very uh, successful uh, elective death five minutes to loss of consciousness so any of those adverse symptoms that people worry about headache for example the like vomiting as such None of that seems to have been excessive and certainly uh, at uh, the time period to loss of consciousness when there would be no more experiencing of adverse symptoms is very quick. That Then the subsequent time from that loss of consciousness to death seems, again, perhaps unsurprising. I guess the only thing I would make a point about there, though, is it's half an hour. You would not want, during that half hour, a knock on the door and the arrival of an ambulance or a resuscitation team because if they were to come in and find you in that situation that is unconscious from taking an excessive amount of nitrate but not quite dead and they're smart enough to realise what it is you've done, maybe because your body's changing colour or maybe because they had some prior knowledge that you were planning such, such an event, they would rapidly administer the antidote for nitrite, which they would probably have, and that could reverse the whole process. But, I mean, making sure that no one's going to knock on the door for half an hour, and I would suggest that you should make sure that no one's going to knock on the door for several hours, uh, shouldn't be too hard to arrange. For me, the most telling point about this eyewitness account is that comfort that George says he draws from knowing that he has sodium nitrate on the shelf and that he would have no hesitation in using it because he's been able to witness his wife Susan use it and the way that her death occurred. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we've seen so often. It's not just with nitrite, it's with uh, any reliable end-of-life substance. Elderly people do gain a great deal of comfort from knowing they've got some on the shelf. And what's interesting in this instance is that George sees after his very close and first-hand experience of the use of nitrite, that that is something that he feels quite comfortable with. For example, I don't think he's now out there trying to uh, deal with internet purchases of illegal substances like Nembutel because he seems quite comfortable with the idea of possibly in the future, given he's in his 90s, perhaps not too long in the future, using his own nitrite. But this points to the broader ideology of exit and, and the effectiveness of it in a way that, I mean, you often say that, ironically, having a means in the cupboard whereby that you can take at a time and place of your choosing to end your life actually prolongs life. Yeah, that's that's been our noticed observance 
for many years that what we find is that when people have access, it's quite a paradox, we call it a paradox, it's that when you have access to lethal drugs, you actually live longer. And of course, all the fear that's out there amongst people that are so worried about the policing and control of dangerous substances, all of the comments that are made are that if people get access to these substances, there will be a spate of suicides. And so they have to do everything that is the authorities to make it very, very difficult for you to obtain end of life drugs. But what we see is quite the converse. What we see is the people like George, when they get access to a substance like nitrite, feel comforted by the knowledge that it's there so that they're more inclined to allow, if you like, the natural history to take place. For example, if they're sick and they know they've got something in the cup which is reliable, they're more inclined to wake up every day and life is dreadful and they watch as perhaps the ravages of the cancer give them a most miserable time, but they know that if they want to leave, they can. They simply have to go to the cupboard. But, I mean, it's not, we're not just talking about old people with cancer. I mean, it's people who might wake up every day and life might be dreadful, but it's not dreadful just because they're depressed or because of COVID, but because of the way that it feels to get old and become increasingly frail and not have the, the mobility and the independence that you once had. Yeah, I'd even take it, wheel it back further than that. I think every rational adult would benefit from having access to lethal drugs. I think it puts everybody in control. You don't have to be old, as you said. You don't have to be sick, as you said. You just have to be a rational human and you would benefit from access to substances that will reliably end your life. In terms of comparing the eyewitness account by George about his wife, Susan, that we've just been discussing. I mean, we have another eyewitness account that we've had published in the handbook for a few months now, and this is one that comes from the US, and it talks about a woman having taken her nitrite, and the description of the what comes next goes like this. At three minutes dizzy, at five minutes very drowsy but still responsive, at 12 minutes unconscious, at 15 minutes a deep sleep and unrousable, at 25 minutes, increasing cyanosis and steady, shallow breathing, and at 40 minutes, death. Now let's talk first, Philip, about cyanosis. What is it? Well, cyanosis, as mentioned there, is usually refers to a bluing of the body so that uh, as less and less oxygen is going through your blood because you're getting closer and closer to death and your breathing becomes shallower, and in this case, because your blood has become such an ineffective carrier of oxygen, so a blue coloration of the extremities, fingertips, lips, and the like takes place, and that's known as cyanosis. Of so the nitrite case, there's also the additional change in color associated with the blood altering color to become a brownish tinge. All of that, though, would give the observer the idea that the person was changing color, and they would call it, as they did in that uh, mention there, as a cyanosis, a noticeable cyanosis. And again, I mean, dizziness has been mentioned in both cases. Yes, I think that's another account of this idea of happy hypoxia, the dizziness, disorientation, uh, being unaware and out, sort of out of it. And that, uh, that lack of But there's good out of it and bad out of it. Yes, well, it's very hard. And I guess none of us will ever know. No, those accounts are, in a way aren't detailed enough, but it does not really, I don't think, refer to anything that's particularly unpleasant. But you're right, we don't really know what they mean by dizziness. I would suggest it's the same as intoxication. And this, the period 
from taking the nitrate to death is more or less the same, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah, they're both very similar of these two accounts. I guess that's good in terms of scientific replication ability. Well, it is, but a sample of two. We've got a long, long, <laughs> long way to go before we can be. I mean, two swallows don't make a summer, as they say, and we need a lot more examples. And we've got a couple, we've got a few more, and they do vary a bit. But the reality is that they seem to be settling into this pattern of those sorts of times when you take the right amount in the right way and use the right amount of preparation, etc. You can expect this sort of death. On the issue of the cyanosis, that's been a factor that's come up in some of the other eyewitness accounts. For example, this one. A friend I've known for 43 years recently used sodium nitrite to end her life. She was 81 years of age. Her death was taken to be from natural causes, which suggests that her body did not display obvious cyanosis. Well, my thoughts about that are that cyanosis is a pretty common if you like, effect on the body as it dies from a great number of causes. So any doctor being called to confirm that death has taken place and seeing a person who's died, looking at the body and finding cyanosis wouldn't be particularly surprised and it certainly doesn't give a suggestion or an indication that maybe there's been some untoward taking of a substance to cause this. Cyanosis in itself is a very common uh, effect on a body as the process of death and dying takes place. So are we talking blue? You mentioned blue, but we've also had mention of brown, a brownish tinge or a bluish tinge. Yes, we're talking about two things here. There's the cyanosis, which is the blue coloration associated with a lack of oxygen going out and permeating the extremities of the body. The brown coloration is the altered color of the blood, of the arterial blood that's being circulated around the body because it doesn't have enough dissolved oxygen because you've altered the haemoglobin in the blood by taking nitrite. So there's two things. One is a change in colour of the blood. The other is a change in the colour of the extremities from lack of oxygen. Now, the two can mix together and maybe a very perceptive doctor turning up at the scene would say, this is not just cyanosis. I can see the brown coloration associated with methoglobinemia, which is the medical term for the change in colour of the blood as it's affected by nitrite. Continuing on this cyanosis theme, we have another eyewitness account that says, I'm writing to tell you about Mrs W who died last week. She went alone. Her sister said her body looked lovely and peaceful and not brown. There have been no questions from the police or coroner. Yes, well, I think that's just another example of how this is far from inevitable this change in colour that we refer to, and in many cases it's not noticed at all. And we have another eyewitness account, again on the same theme, saying, I was not too surprised that her death was taken to be from natural causes because I know of another exit member, a 92-year-old man who used sodium nitrite and who also was not glaringly showing cyanosis. Could the relatively short time to death of 22 minutes play a role in this? I think he's asking there, should, could the short time to death play a role in the coloration of the body? Observed coloration yeah. of the body. Yeah. I don't know about that. I, I, would, uh, I would be surprised about that. Obviously, a body changes color after death anyway. 
and whether or not the noticeable change in the blood colour from the nitrite would be more noticed in time is something I'm just not sure of. So I, I doubt that. I mean, this eyewitness continues by saying the death of my friend was not monitored because her block of apartments had extensive video surveillance. She did, however, inform close friends and relatives that she intended to peacefully and painlessly end her life. She made her death appear natural and unexpected by having groceries unsuccessfully delivered to her, necessitating the on-site manager to open her apartment and find her deceased. And I guess that raises an important point. For a death by any method described in the handbook is how you prepare and plan for it afterwards to ensure that you're found if you are dying alone. Yes, this question comes up a lot. People wonder about, worry, I suppose, more than wonder, they worry about how it is that they're going to be found. Some people make it quite clear. They say, I don't want to be lying dead for several days to the fact that there's some putrefaction of my body. They want to make sure that they're found, but obviously they don't want to be found too soon. And you must think about these things because you certainly don't want to make an arrangement for someone to come along and find you after you're dead. That is some close friend. And then they get there and find out that you haven't quite died. Well, I mean, we have a quite a beautiful final eyewitness account in regard to a couple who chose recently to go together. And she writes, the daughter writes, I wanted to let you know that my parents died together of nitrite recently. My mother was terminally ill and dad chose not to go on without her. While I was not with them, it looked to have been a very peaceful death. Now, she explains that she was actually the designated person who would come the following day and find them together. Yes, I think the, the idea of designating someone and making sure that there's sufficient time, uh, don't get them to come around after they've had a cup of coffee, make sure that a certain amount of time, and we would say leave it at least a day before you go around there, because you certainly don't want to be the person who comes to a situation where someone has electively taken this step, and then you find them out unconscious and unresponsive perhaps, but still alive, because that puts you into a very difficult position. Legal position. Legal position. Let's turn our attention now to the RPA test, that's Exit's Reliability Peacefulness Availability Test. And that's a table that we put at the end of each chapter and then we have a comparison table at the end of the book to for some way to make sense of all the different methods that we discuss. Now, in regard to the salts, in regard to nitride in particular, Philip, you have a seven with an asterisk in terms of reliability. Well, obviously, the idea, the goal would be to have a 10 out of 10, 7 with an asterisk. And the question, I suppose, is what's the asterisk? Well, as we say there, the asterisk in the handbook refers to the fact that we simply haven't had enough examples or documented cases which can make us absolutely sure whereabouts this fits on a reliability and speed uh, uh, table. So, so 7 out of 10 for reliability. means that we think it's very reliable, but we'd like to have more information. Now, that's changed because if you look at one of the older editions of the handbook, when we first started to talk about nitrite a couple of years ago, we were the first, I think, the first book to even mention nitrite or account to make it more well-known and available. We were much less uh, sure about its efficacy then. So it's moving up, and I guess the asterisk suggests it might move up even more, and I think that's true. As we learn better ways to use this substance, it will become more and more reliable, and hopefully, as I said, the goal will be to have the same reliability as the premier drug, Nembutel. You've given it an overall rating of 78%. For the other salts, for cyanide, 60%, sodium azide, 75%. So in the scheme of things, 78%, that's 
almost like an A minus, is it? In the drugs, <laughs> the schedule of methods. You, you might, for example, notice it B+. scores it scores very well on the availability. You've given it a nine out of ten for That's availability. That's right. You see, it's all very well having a wonderful drug like Nembutal, but if you can't get it, it's no good giving it a high score. So this total overall score brings in a lot of things other than just how good it is. It also brings in some very practical considerations like can you get it? And but for the sake nitro- of transparency during the week, we have actually had some reports in of people finding it increasingly hard to get. So maybe that 9 out of 10, I mean, this is a moving feast, isn't it, the RPA test? So maybe that 9 out of 10 needs to be revisited and revised down a bit. Yeah, it is a moving feast. And in fact, the RPA table is being adjusted all the time in, in the context of things such as you've just mentioned. Availability can change and keeps on changing for the various methods and they have, we have to alter the final score because of this. And that's the excellent thing about having an online e-handbook in that you can change it when and how you need it. That's true. So don't uh, be guided by some out-of-date print version of the the handbook. Get the e-handbook and get the most recent edition, which is this stage, May 2020. That's it for this week discussing part two of sodium nitrite i'm sure this will be a topic that we will revisit in the future at some point there's so much to say and as we were just discussing each method is a movable feast and some methods are are susceptible to a lot of changes and they're the ones that make sense to stay on top of and i guess certainly to include them in these podcasts next week we will be talking about hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine phosphate The title of next week's podcast is How Much Hydroxychloroquine Should Donald Trump Take? We hope you join us then. Thank you. Bye for now.